The Squiz is a free weekday email and podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. If you've been keeping an eye on the news lately, you will have heard bits and pieces about the Victorian government's involvement with China's Belt and Road Initiative. Officially called One Belt, One Road, it's one of Chinese President Xi Jinping's policies, and it's all about China investing in big infrastructure projects throughout the world. In this episode, we take a look at what China is setting out to do, which nations have signed up, and why it's a contentious project, especially here in Australia. Squish Shortcuts, the backstory to the big stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. It was the end of 2013, Claire, when Chinese President Xi Jinping announced what many call one of China's most ambitious foreign policy and economic initiatives, the One Belt, One Road Initiative. Let's start with a summary of its broad objectives. The stated objectives are to construct a unified large market and make full use of both international and domestic markets through cultural exchange and integration, which sounds very lofty, but Mm. there's some references to it being a tool to improve mutual understanding and also the trust between member nations. In a practical sense, though, it's a Chinese government program to address the infrastructure gap that builds on the old trade routes that once connected China to the West. And that old trade route is essentially the Silk Road. Yeah, which is a network of old trade routes between the East and West, starting in China and stretching across to the Middle East and into Europe. And by old, I mean ancient. These routes were used for economic, cultural, political, religious interactions from the second century before Christ right through to the 18th century. So in summary, the Silk Road connected China with the rest of the world and Belt and Road is looking to do a similar thing. Now we've got all that. Tell us, Claire, what is Belt and what is Road? Good question. The belt refers to those overland routes from China involving road and rail transportation from the west of the nation through to Central Asia and finally through to Europe, whereas the road actually refers to sea routes and we're talking about investments in ports and that will provide China with maritime access across the Indian Ocean. So to put it really, really simply, what Belt and Road will do is allow the Chinese government to fund major infrastructure projects, as you say, like ports. We're talking about things like railways, highways, power stations, aviation, telecommunications all around the world. Yeah. And some estimates say that it's about a Australian $1.5 trillion investment. Others say that it's about US $4 to $8 trillion. But whatever it is, it's a huge area that we're talking about. And there's about 70 countries already signed up. So it's a big, big project, one of the largest infrastructure and investment projects in history, in fact. Let's have a look now at how it will be funded and why critics are concerned. So as we've said, the infrastructure projects under the Belt and Road Initiative are going to cost in the order of trillions of dollars. China hasn't put a figure on it and no one really knows exactly how much, but whatever it is, it's a lot. How is China going to pay for this? Well, China's not giving the money away. What it's going to do is provide the finance and China has lent up to US $350 billion to countries so far. About half of them are considered high-risk debtors. And the loans differ from most other loans to developing countries by institutions like the World Bank. They tend to carry higher interest rates and shorter maturities and that requires refinancing every couple of years. So to be really clear, the countries take out loans need to pay it back with interest. 
And in order to do this, China has set up banks to facilitate the flow of this money. Analysts now reckon Beijing is a bigger lender to developing nations than the World Bank or the International Monetary Fund, which has been the cause of much criticism. Yeah, the terms of those financial arrangements has seen China accused by the US and others of what's called debt trap diplomacy. Mm. That means that China's accused of lending more money than poor countries can afford so it can seize strategic assets and expand its military and economic footprint. There's already an example of this happening. Yeah, that's right. In 2017, Sri Lanka was forced to hand over the strategic port of Hambantota. It's a 99-year lease after it was unable to pay its loan back. But of course, China rejects that criticism. They say there are many benefits to nations who sign up to Belt and Road. Let's have a look now at what they believe those benefits are and why countries like the US and Australia still have concerns. Claire, once completed, it's estimated the Belt and Road Initiative will affect more than 60% of the world's population and is also expected to soon account for almost 40% of total world trade. For China's part, they say it's an opportunity for many nations to improve their trade capabilities and in turn grow their economy and improve the standard of living of their citizens. And many countries agree. The initiative has signed memorandums of understanding with 125 countries. Those in support of it include more than half of the EU's 28 member states. Most of the countries that have endorsed it are developing countries and there's also the likes of Italy and Greece who sit in the direct path of the Belt and Road Initiative as well as New Zealand. But then there are those that are a little more reluctant. They include the US and some of its allies like Australia. They're concerned that this really is all about China spreading its influence. And there's a paradox for America with it becoming more isolationist under President Donald Trump while being simultaneously concerned that China's increasing its global presence. And the high-level concerns go deep into our systems of government and our values of democracy and commitment to a free society. The US would say that things get complicated when your values could be compromised by being tied up in financial arrangements that could see the region beholden to China that doesn't share those values. And what about Australia? As I mentioned, we're with the US on this one. It's tricky for us because we're economically tied to China. Some see the positives of Australia signing up to that initiative too. But former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull called Belt and Road an agenda, not an economic initiative. And Prime Minister Scott Morrison agrees, saying it's not consistent with Australia's national interest. And this is where we come to why this is in the news a fair bit. The state of Victoria has signed a memorandum of understanding with China to be part of the Belt and Road Initiative. This is contradictory to the federal government's position, of course. Let's take a look. It was 2018 when the Victorian government signed up to this memorandum of understanding, an MOU. Firstly, what does signing an MOU mean in this context? It's a formal acknowledgement and they recognise one another and a broad agreement that China's National Development and Reform Commission would work with the Victorian government on initiatives. So what does the deal look like at this point? 
Well, there are no deals or projects as such, but it's a mutual commitment to promote practical cooperation with Chinese firms in Victoria's infrastructure projects. And in return, Victorian firms could get a look in on projects in China and in other countries that have signed up to the Belt and Road Initiative. Which, of course, as we described, is at odds with the federal government's position. Yeah, exactly right. And Scott Morrison says Victoria should get its fingers out of the foreign affairs cookie barrel Mm. because it's a policy area that's determined by the federal government. He recently said that I respect their jurisdiction when it comes to the issues that they're responsible for and it's always been usual practice for states to respect and recognise the role of the federal government in setting foreign policy. That's a quote. So how binding is this? Can Victoria still get out of it? Well, to be clear, Victoria hasn't agreed to do much, as it turns out. It's not like they've borrowed money from the Chinese under the initiative and the Memorandum of Understanding is not a legal binding agreement. But even still, the Victorian government isn't backing away from it, saying that it's a good thing to promote economic ties with the world's second largest economy. So as we record this, they're still at odds, the federal government and the state government. I guess the reason this has been brought into much sharper focus lately is really due to the politics of coronavirus. Our relationship with China is in focus and it's not particularly a pretty picture. Mm. Australia's push for an international inquiry into COVID-19 has really upset an already strained relationship with China and this side issue with Victoria is another fly in that ointment. And that's your shortcut to China's Belt and Road Initiative. On to our recommendations. Each episode of Squiz Shortcuts, we recommend some further reading, listening, watching. Mine is a very easy one, but a good one for context. I've got a link to the Lowy Institute, which has a map of the Silk Road as well as other big trade routes. A map is always good for context, I find, Claire. It is. It's always good to see where you're talking about. And what I've got is that the coronavirus has clearly hurt many nations' capacity to pay their Belt and Road loans. And there's a school of thought that says that if China doesn't forgive a lot of those payments, it will end up severely Mm. damaging its international relationships and its reputation. So I've got a link to the New York Times with an article talking about that. Quick look at the map or a longer read if you'd like. There's options. Good balance. Good balance. Thanks for listening in. If you like what you've heard, please tell people about our shortcuts. They're also available in written format on our website. They come out each Thursday every week. You could also leave us a review or share a link on social. If you're new to The Squeeze, we also have a morning news podcast. It drops at 6am each weekday and is designed to get busy people across the news headlines. Give it a whirl. Until next week. 